The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. As you're being seated, I want to update you on the mission trip I mentioned in my prayer, but I got a text. Uh, They are safe and sound in the region. Now, I don't know if you all know this, but we've been carved out. We've been given a group of people, 30,000 people, who live in a region called the Karkamugi region. The people are called the Taposa people. So we have 30,000 Taposans who live in the Karkamugi region that our missionary family in South Sudan have said, these are y'all's people to take the gospel to. And so we've, with his leadership, have divided that into 12 areas, and we have leaders from those areas that are meeting with our team who are there right now. And there was those 12 guys, and there was three ladies, and they said that we, our team, taught them the Bible stories from the scriptures in their language, and they went in their first time to share it. The, the new trainees, the Taposans, shared it to their people. There were 400 people there listening. And so just keep praying, keep praying for them, and we're just very thankful for the Lord's uh, faithfulness to continue to, to work. Our, our work will be done when there are a, there's a church in each one of those 12 areas, and then we'll say, all right, Lord, what's next? And so it's really exciting to see the progress being made. Well, uh, it, I, I have raised my kids on the soccer fields, and uh, we are a, a team, a, a sports culture, and so every one of us can relate to that feeling. We, I hear it all the time, you know, uh, that we should just have church out at the soccer fields. We should just have everything out at soccer fields or, or whatever the sports fields because that's where we live. Uh, I coach my girls' teams all from the days, the early days where they were bees on honey, where there's like everybody on the field is just following that little ball around and I remember, never will forget, the first day of practice, uh, one of the young ladies, one of the little girls came up, and I said, okay, well, go put your bag next to the goal. And she looked up at her mom and said, what's the goal? I was like, oh, wow, we have got some training to do. And so, uh, but it was a great joy, a great way to be involved in my kids' lives, great way to be involved in my kids' friends' lives, great way to know their family, their parents. And so, uh, it's, it's been a great privilege. Uh, but I never will forget there was this one team. You see, each club, like Shreveport United is a club, and we have a white team, a yellow team, and a blue team, or something like that. And every club has that. And so the, our great rivals were Baton Rouge Black, and they were appropriately named the Black Evil Wicked Team. I never will forget, we went down there, and we drove, and our little babies are middle school kids, and I mean, they're just cute little kids still in our minds, and we show up, and that other team looked like they drove to the team. I mean, they were women, and we were like, oh my word, this is going to be ugly, and it was. Our girls came off the field crying their face off, like, what just happened? And I'm like, I don't know, we got to practice. We got issues. Well, we did go on to beat them twice, back-to-back championship. That's what I'm talking about. Whoop, whoop. Or any, there was also another team that was like three-peat. The, after I was done coaching, they still the legacy lived on, and they won another championship. Malin's team won championship. So it's great times. But in soccer, how do you know whose team someone is really on? Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's just... Would you just look at their registration form? They turned in their registration. No, they still got to make the cut. They still got to make the team. Well, maybe it's because on game day, you saw them playing on our team. Well, that's, that's a good indication. But you actually in soccer can have a guest player. In fact, you can have someone on the big day where everybody's watching. You can have a player on your team who's not really even on your team. And people on the bench who aren't playing are actually more on the team than they are. 
So that is not the best way to know who's on the team. To know who's on the team, you don't look at game day when everybody's watching. You don't just look at the form they filled out. You go day in and day out, week in and week out to practice. And you can tell who's on the team. The person who's on the team has committed to be there. They show up. They discipline themselves. They adjust their priorities. They sacrifice to not be able to go to a lot of fun things at their school. And they are there at practice with blood, sweat, and tears. They are working to get in game shape. They are learning the schemes and tactics and skills from the coach. You want to know who's on the team. You don't look at game day. You look at their practice. And you will know who's on the team. That's the underlying message that John is giving us today. John is saying, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So John wants to make it perfectly clear, authentic Christians practice righteousness. And to state it negatively, no authentic Christian will practice sin. Today, John is going to set up two contrasting teams. Like Shreveport White and Baton Rouge Black. I have some friends on that team, so if they ever listen to this message, I love you guys, you know that. But the point is, John is going to say, there are two teams. It's not gray, it's black and white. You want to know which team you're on? Don't look at game day. Don't look at Sunday. Don't look at a piece of paper. Look at your practice. And that's how you know which team you're on. Lord, we ask for your help this morning. You know my sincere desire today is that everyone here knows this is not a self-righteous religious leader casting judgment and looking down on others. But this is a people gathered together, all of us, searching to understand the scriptures so that we can know what's true and what's false, so we can enjoy your great blessings, the life that you have for us. Lord, your spirit, you say, leads us into all truth. I pray, Lord, that he will lead us this morning. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so when we look at this text, you see it in your Bible. It's just straight down verses 4 through 10. To understand the logic of it, you need to take verses 8 through 10 and bring it up next to verses 4 through 7. And you will see they say basically the same thing, but it's repeated twice. In fact, John Stott says this. He says, uh, the argument is repeated each time with a different emphasis. So I would say he says it once and then he repeats it with a different emphasis. Right? He says it, and then he emphasizes a little different point, but his point is the same. So the way I'm going to work through the text will be verse 4, verse 8, and you'll see that I'll put those side to side as we work through the logic of what he was saying. And then at the bottom, in between, sandwiched between those two, is the main point. Here's the main point. Don't miss this. Verse 7, second part, is this. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. 
just as Jesus is righteous or as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. And as I prayed, my desire is that everyone here understands I'm not a self-righteous religious Pharisee looking down my nose at you and saying, you sin, you're of the devil. What we're doing here is seeking to understand reality. We're seeking to understand with intellectual integrity the truth. We're filled with a society and culture and people who want to shade the truth and make it gray and fuzzy. And that's not good for us. It's not good for anyone. And John doesn't allow that. John is is very logical and he's very black and white. And I appreciate that. I, I need people in my life like that because I'm more of an emotional thinker. I feel my way through things. And I just need Jeff Howard in my life who says this or this. And I'm like, that's right. That's what John does for us. He says, listen, it's this or is this. And so let's look at what John has to say. The way John's going to paint this picture and set this up for us is basically he's going to work through the nature and work of the devil. And then he's going to work through the nature and the work of Jesus. And then he's going to bring it to its logical conclusion. He's going to say it's obvious. The children of the devil, the children of Jesus are made obvious. Look at their practice. So let's work through it together. Verse 4, the nature and work of the devil. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Then he repeats it with a little emphasis in verse 8, first part of verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. So what's John doing here? First, John wants us to look underneath the sin. John wants us to say, listen, I'm not just talking about the act of committing a sin. I want you to understand the nature of sin. Sin is lawlessness. We need to understand sin for what it is. We want to redefine sin. We want to paint pretty pictures. We, we don't, especially about ourselves. We don't want to call it sin when it's ours. We want to say, well, that's just That's just a a pattern of behavior I've learned from my parents. And and when our kids, you know, know, well, that's just, he's just expressing himself. It's like, no, he's disobeying his teacher. And so, well, he's just learning who he is. Well, that's not laziness. That's just my teenage or my college graduate trying to figure out what they want to do in life. Okay, no, get out of the house, get a job. So there's things that we want to call it, but it's sin. And we don't want to call it sin. And he says, listen, sin is sinful. And he forces us to think about the sin, sinfulness of sin. He says, sin is lawlessness. He's going deeper than the act to go into the very nature of sin. The very definition of sin is defined in terms, the very nature of sin is defined in terms antithetical to God. It's, what is sin? Well, it's, it's, it's godlessness, it's lawlessness, it's, it's unholiness, it's the opposite. Of what is evil? Evil is the, the opposite of God or the lack of God's will being accomplished. And so what we see is the very, when we commit a sin, we are living out or we are participating in or we are joining the team, we are re- revealing sinfulness, lawlessness. So when we think about the law, we're not just saying, oh, sin is breaking that law. The law is the fruit of of God's nature. 
When God gave Israel a law and said, listen, these are the laws. We know them as Ten Commandments. And if you keep reading your Bible, you see tons of laws. That was like we have a constitution and we have laws as a people that govern us. Well, that was God. When you read your Bible and you see the Old Testament, you see God's law given to Israel. This is the way he ordered them as a people, as a theocracy, as the leader of a nation, the God leader of a nation, this is how you should live. Why? Because this flows out. This is the fruit of the holiness and the nature of God. Thou shalt not kill. Why is that a law? It's because it flows from the nature of God, the holiness of God. God created man as the supreme image bearer of God. It's God's value expressed in a law. God values human life. Therefore, the law was given, do not kill. So if you break the law, you're not just breaking a law. You are participating in lawlessness. You are participating in the very antithesis of God. You are aligning yourself with the very enemy of God. You are expressing godlessness. And so he says, sin is godlessness. To kill someone is to, is the very root of Expression of your root lawlessness. When John says in verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, he's making sure that we don't define it lightly. Every little sin is an expression of the sinlessness or the godlessness or the unholy nature. And John says we can't play games with sin. We can't redefine it. We can't lighten it up. And the reason he's laying this general principle out, everyone who sins is practicing lawlessness, is because the people that he's writing to, the people to whom he writes, said, I have had an experience with God that makes me right with God. It makes me righteous. And so the way I live doesn't matter. Don't get tangled up in calling what I'm doing wrong or sinful. And John says, no, 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 no. If you really have had a spiritual experience that you are of God, then you cannot practice anti-God behavior. It's not of the nature of God. You can't practice and make it a practice of that. So John says, everyone, he lays down this general principle, everyone who practices sin is practicing lawlessness or unholiness. And so he demands intellectual integrity here. Now, I'm a passionate person, and I find that no matter how unplanned it is, passion comes out of me when I come up here. And I'm trying with all my might to restrain the passion because this is a logical argument. And I want to appeal to your intellect that as reasonable, intellectual human beings, it is intellectually dishonest, it is a lie to say one thing and do another. He is saying, you can't say you are of the righteous God and practice unrighteousness. That's his point. And so he goes even further and gets into the nature of the devil. And he is just, John doesn't understand we have political correctness. And he does not participate in our political correctness. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. You just don't say that. Well, he did. We got to deal with it. John doesn't play around. He tells it like it is. And then he goes in to say, let's talk about the devil. Let's think about this coach. 
coach of the black team, coach of the wicked team. He has sinned from the beginning. The Bible tells us that Satan was created as an angel, and yet he sinned. He wanted to be God himself. He wanted to be like God, and his pride got the best of him. He sinned, and God kicked him out of heaven. And from that point on, he has been sinning, and he has been lying, and he has been deceiving. He is the devil. He is the father of sin. He is of the sin nature. He is, and it's, he is the very essence of sin. He lies because his nature is a liar. He murders because his nature is murderous. And so he's saying, do you realize that anyone who practices sin is of him? He's been sinning from the beginning. In fact, John Stott points out the nature of the devil. If you summarize the teaching of the Bible on the nature of the devil, you can put it into three categories. And those three categories are the exact antithesis of the three categories that John says makes an authentic Christian. Let me explain. He says, first of all, an authentic Christian, John has said, believes the truth about Jesus lives a growing holy life, practices righteousness, and number three, brotherly love, expresses and growing brotherly love. The devil, on the other hand, is quite the opposite. The devil has no truth in him. He's the father of lies. There is no truth in him, the Bible says. He is evil and unrighteous, and he's an accuser, a murderer, a destroyer. And so John is black and white. He says an authentic Christian cannot practice the lifestyle of the devil and claim to be of Jesus. It's just incongruous. It's just incompatible. It is irrational. It's insanity. It doesn't make intellectual sense. You can't do that. So John has been making a very clear point about the nature of the devil. And then he says... Since sin is the nature of the devil, the one who practices sin is of the devil. Well, what does John mean there? He means what he said. The one who practices sin is revealing that they share in the nature of the devil. This is exactly what Jesus said. John eight forty four, where Jesus is talking about the nature of the devil and those who follow him, he says this. Those who practice sin, Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he is speaking from his own nature. Why? For he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus and John make the exact same point. Your sin is fruit of the root nature of sinfulness. The devil is the father of sin and his very nature is unholy, unrighteous sinfulness. And so when he sinned, it was just revealing his true nature. And so when you sin, you're just revealing your true nature. So if you practice sin, but you say, I'm a Christian, it doesn't matter what you say. It's who you are. You are revealing your true nature by your actions. And to say something else is just irrational. It's a lie. It's self-deception. And it's what we do all the time. 
You know, as community groups, we reset the community groups every year in this church. At the beginning of the year, we share our personal stories to get to know one another, just kind of jumpstart getting to know each other. And we've been doing this now. I mean, the church is 10 years old, and I guess we've been sharing stories probably maybe, let's just say, seven or eight years. And so this year, or actually it was last year, some people reminded me that it was last year, before we started to share the stories, I told Dana, I said, um, I have a different story to tell. She's like, okay, I think I've dated you six years, been married 23 years. This is going to be interesting to have you new life story. And so what I was saying was, as I began to share my story for seven years, I always said, well, I was a good kid. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I obeyed, I followed the rules and all that. That was me believing my own self-deception. And last year when I told the story, it just like the Holy Spirit was like, you weren't a good kid. Shut up. I had two Big public sins I did not do. Therefore, I had the church. I had my parents. I hope they're not listening. I had my parents. My kids are listening. I hope everyone's not listening, but I'm telling the truth. That I didn't do those two big sins. And therefore, I had everyone convinced, including myself, that I was a good, holy, righteous kid. And it was a flat-out lie. I was a liar, a deceiver, a schemer, a cheater, a manipulator. I I was such a master at it that all this evil, wicked sin that was in my heart that I was scheming and I was manipulating and I was this person here and that person there. But inside, I knew who I really was. I had everyone fooled, including myself. So much so that at the age of 45, I'm still believing that lie and telling people I was a good kid. I wasn't. I was of the devil. It's hard for us to believe, but it's true. I was of the devil. Until God in his grace opened my eyes to see my sin. I didn't see it for as sinful as it was. But I got a glimpse and I saw my need for a savior. And I asked for forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he cleansed me. And he gave me a new nature, and that new nature began to show up in my life. If you're practicing sin, you're of the devil. And we need to hear that. Again, I plead with you, this is God speaking to us, not me speaking down to you. So what does it mean to practice sin? Stott says it means to be motivated by and to succumb to the devil's desires. It means their will is to do his will. To use the coaching analogy that you know what it means. If I say, do you practice your sport? Do you practice? You know what it means. It means day in and day out. You work at it. You want to get better at it. You put discipline into it. You do what it takes to to improve. You want to learn the tactics of your coach. You want to understand the strategy. And you want to be able to implement your coach's strategy. If the devil is coaching us in sin, let's be honest. When we start out 
as young children sinning, we're not real skilled at it. But boy, do we figure it out. We practice at deception. We practice at manipulation. We learn, oh, okay, I got it. Oh, man, did I mess up on that one. But now I know how to do this and get away with it. And I even know how to fool myself. I start relabeling things. I certainly know how to get my parents fooled. I can get the church fooled. I can get the church friends fooled. But deep down inside, I'm practicing sin. I did it for years. And I imagine there's a lot of us doing it still. Are you practicing sin? John doesn't let us play games. John's black and white, like a good friend who you all need and we all need to say, hey, that's of the devil. In great contrast, John presents the person, the nature, and the work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. He says, you know that he, that's referring to Jesus, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He's just so logical. He's like, you, you do know that when you're sinning and you claim to be Jesus, you do know that Jesus appeared to take away sins. And you do know that in him there is no sin. And then verse 8, the second part, he says, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of God appeared for the, this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And you can already, your, your, your brain is, you're smart. You know, you're already there. You already know what he's saying. You already get the point. I, I could just sit down now. You get the point, but let's belabor the point a little bit. In contrast to the devil, whose nature is sin and lawlessness, Jesus, there is no sin. His nature is sinlessness. He's sinless. So you've got two teams, two natures, two coaches. The devil who is lawless and, and Jesus who is sinless. The devil who schemes and lies, those are his tactics. Or Jesus who is sinless and seeks to destroy sin and the schemes and lies of the devil. Whose team are you on? Who are you practicing with? What is your life practice declare about your own nature? When Jesus came and we say he was perfect and sinless, he did not break a law. He fulfilled the, the Old Testament law that God gave Israel. He was just being true to himself. That's why he perfectly fulfilled the will of God. Because his nature is God, sinless, holy. And we are all true to who we are. We all live out our true nature. But the solution is not to change the description of how we're living. The solution is to have a new nature. And so that's what we see John saying here. He says, listen, Jesus was sinless. And then Jesus appeared to take away sins. The Son of God appeared for this person to destroy the works of the devil. The very nature of Jesus is sinless. The very purpose of Jesus' work was to destroy sin, which is the work of the devil. He paints the two pictures and then he brings it to a very logical conclusion. He says, it's obvious. He uses the word. He says, listen, it's obvious what's going on here. Verse 6. 
No one who abides in Jesus sins. Now, I'm going to interpret it for you so you don't misunderstand what John's saying. We'll explain in just a minute. No one who abides in him, Jesus, sins, practices sin, is what he's saying there. No one who abides in Jesus goes on continually practicing sin. No one who continually practices sin has seen him or knows him. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because... His seed abides in him. And he cannot sin or cannot practice sin because he is born of God. And this is how we know by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother. That love of the brother is going to be discussed next week. So in these verses, John brings his argument to the obvious logical conclusion, which we have already stated, and he states it again in verse 10, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious by their practice. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what you do on game day, Sunday. Look at your practice. And it's obvious. Now, in verse 6, when John says, no one who abides in him sins, he's not saying perfection. We've already discussed this. John's not an idiot. When he writes his letter, he establishes the principle, first of all, in 1 John, anyone who says they have no sin, any believer who thinks they're not sinful, they're deceived. We all have sin. We all need forgiveness. Authentic Christians are secure in the forgiveness of Christ, and they understand that they, they are free to say, hey, that's sin, I need to deal with it. He's not contradicting himself. He's saying, when you look at the Greek terms and the, and the verbs, he's saying a perfect tense, a present continuing action, a continuing ongoing practice of sin. So John is saying anyone who is in Christ, uh, anyone who abides in Jesus, continue. no one, excuse me, verse 6, no one who abides in Jesus practices sin. And no one who practices sin has seen him or knows him. It's clear. And he explains, in fact... His point is this, true believers cannot practice sin. It's impossible. You will live out your true nature. True believers cannot continually practice to deceive and and to manipulate and to get away with. That is not who they are over the lifetime of their life that will not be reflected in their life. There is a principle that John makes very clear in his teachings. Like we said last week, the holiness of God that has been implanted in believers, the seed of God, if the holiness of God is in you, like you say it is, it always comes out in your practice. Always. Doesn't mean every day, but it always shows up in the character and in your practice. Now the word practice... We know what that means. Don't hide behind these words. It's very clear. Practice makes perfect, right? We got to practice. We got to get better. We got to work on it. So he's saying, what are you practicing? What are you getting better at? What are you working on? Are you working on the, the, the tactics of the devil or the tactics of Jesus? Are you working on getting better at deception? Or are you working on getting more holy? Are you practicing for him? Or are you practicing for Jesus? Who? Are you really living for? It's 
So what does practicing righteousness look like? Those who practice righteousness have trusted in Jesus Christ and they have the root of holiness implanted in them. And then they live out that root. They learn, they practice living out that new nature. John 3, we talked about last week, Nicodemus came up to Jesus, hey, I want to go. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's just like, do what? I can't go into my mother's room and be born again. He says, you've got to be born again of the Spirit of God. You have to have a new nature. You have to have the nature of God implanted in you. The seed of God himself implanted in you with faith brings new life. So you have a new nature. And then you're living your nature out. Your actions are the fruit of your new root of holiness. And what does that look like? Well, they have new desires. New desires for God, new desires for the things of God, new desires for His Word, new desires to be with His people, new desires to to try to get better at holiness, new desires to understand His Word, as frustrating as it may be, and, and hard it is to discipline yourself to have that daily quiet time. You want it. You're trying. You're working on it. You're, you're trying to discipline yourself. You're getting coaches to help you. And so you're joining a team to say, yeah, I want to grow in holiness. This is who I am. This is what I want. You're practicing right righteousness and you stumble and you take two steps back but then you work on it hey you see a a big leap forward you see holiness your new nature coming out in your life because you're practicing at it that's what always shows up over a lifespan of someone who has that new nature but practicing sin on the outside can look a lot like it, but only you can know the inside, like I said, was in my life. Practicing sin, a person may still do a lot of nice things, a lot of good things, may give money in the offering plate, may serve on a, on a team that we have. They may go and, and help in the community, and they do a lot of nice things. On game day, they can look like a star player on the team. But when no one's looking, it's the practice that counts. They live a different way and they get really good at figuring out how can I present this front and yet still satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. How can I still have this lifestyle, what I really want, and yet keep everyone satisfied to thinking I'm on this team. Living a double life, seeking to keep up a Christian image, but taking pleasure in sin. And we can become quite skilled at it, but... We can know that if we're practicing lying, deceiving, accusing, blaming, manipulating, we need to know what team we're on. Look at your life with me as I look at my life. There is great joy in knowing the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We are hardwired. We were created for the truth. And every day we live in the lie, it's awful. And it's a path of destruction and despair. 
John says, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Which team are you on? Now, let me say this, my appeal today. Please don't leave here. If you honestly evaluate your life and you see I'm on the wrong team, you don't go and then earn something to get on a different team. You admit, step one, you admit it. Hey, I confess it. I agree. I've been practicing unrighteousness. And then you understand what we sing about, what we talk about each week, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God came and entered flesh to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And when we trust in Him and Him alone, when we turn away from our practicing unrighteousness, and we turn to trust Him and embrace Jesus, He gives us the new nature. He implants within us the new nature. And then we start learning together a lifetime of practicing the righteousness, living out that new nature in us. So in a moment, you switch teams and you're declared righteous. And then we come alongside each other and practice living out that new nature of righteousness. Don't leave here today without repenting and turning to Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just praise you that every single person here today can be declared righteous, filled with righteous, given a new nature, born again right now as they privately pray to you. I confess I am a sinner and unrighteous and I need your forgiveness and I believe that Jesus died to offer forgiveness. Please forgive me now and give me your new righteous nature. If you prayed that right now and you mean it, he will implant the seed of holiness, his Holy Spirit within you and that righteous new nature will come out of your life in the days ahead as you work and practice your righteousness. I pray that you will make that decision today. I plead with you not to leave this room without doing that business with the Lord right now. And after this song, as we sing this song, I pray that you will let us know, that you will tell me, tell someone, tell David Granger, tell a friend, hey, I'm on the team and I need a coach. I need team teammates to walk with me to help me practice this righteousness. May we sing now the, the truths about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Christ died, was buried, and rose again to give us this new life. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.